Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined as always by Brian Gottlieb. And we have not one, but two <laughs> series of previews to go over. Uh, both Jumpstart, Historic Horizons, and uh, Watsi did a little video on Innistrad Midnight Hunt today. So we have some of those cards as well. Don't even have time to complain about anything this week, Jerry. We just have to talk about nothing but magic cards. We are trapped. They have done it successfully. I can they make time. Our, no, that's not make time. They have they have my undivided attention. There's too many magic cards, and I have to consider them all. And wow, I already did it. I already did the thing where I, I leak information ahead of time. Okay, so we'll we'll do Midnight Hunt first. But but I think we should get something out of the way before that, which is we talked a lot last week about the potential predatory nature of Historic Horizons, right? Yes, yes, we And did. the rest of the set got previewed. The, the front end of it was very much like, you know, these splashy brand new cards and like, look at all these bangers from the Modern Horizons sets. And here's this big shakeup to Historic after you've already invested a bunch in uh, the decks in that format. And now maybe all of your wild cards just got incinerated, whatever. And it's honestly not that bad. Nope, it's not. I, I think I will straight up apologize. I mean, I was just, I was off base. I thought they were going to go a lot harder. And I don't think you can blame me for thinking that, like given what we saw previewed and how many cards there were in the set, it certainly seemed like we were just going to get absolutely buried in Horizons cards. Uh, but that's not really the case. There's there's certainly a lot of playable cards. A lot of them are at common and uncommon, which is great news for anyone trying to preserve wild cards. And then we did something new for this go around. We actually made a list of the most craftable rares and mythics in the set. Well, and you you did. I did. Yeah, I made you made you agree with it. Um, I I kind of struggled to hit ten, which is not what I thought was going to happen, given how powerful stuff was when we got out the gates. Um, but I, I think this is going to be a completely reasonable set on your wallet. I was wrong. I apologize. Yeah, I, I apologize too. Uh, Although, you know, I, I don't feel bad about making those claims because it, it came out like hot and heavy, right? And there were definitely some bangers in the back end, but like you mentioned, it was common, uncommon stuff. Dragon yeah. Rage's Channeler, Unholy Heat, and they weren't upshifted, which was awesome. Yep. Uh, so, you know, that's rad. I, I don't think that I'm going to go broke on this set, which is nice. I mean, if I wanted to try everything, then it would be almost as bad as like a normal standard release. But I, I think I just have to cool it on historic in that regard. I don't think that I'm going to be able to test everything for content purposes. You know, uh, what, one of the good things about the format getting more and more pushed is that things are going to get squeezed out, right? Like you don't you don't have to try the squirrel deck. It's so it's OK, Jerry, you can let that one pass. And I think, you know, you're going to be OK and you didn't miss the next broken thing in historic. So, right. There's there's just stuff like the, you know, the Mystics Mastery nonsense where it's like this looks really powerful how good is it someone has to try it i did i wrote an article about it like obviously i, I got paid for that business expense whatever um but you know it, it definitely does does add up over time right even if it's mm -hmm. a business expense so it's it, it just means that that's like a hundred less dollars that i'm getting paid for that article potentially so very true very true you got to think about that um but but to your point about how hard they came out of the gates. I remember making a complaint recently. It might have been as recent as Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, the D&D set, where we were just like, wow, the start of this preview season uh, did, did nothing. Yeah. And it was super weak. Uh, 
they kind of came out firing for Innistrad Midnight Hunt. Like they they went hard on day one. There's some real magic cards here. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess we'll we'll shift gears back to the the first topic then. So there's there's only seven cards that they showed us. Mm-hmm. But rather than just be like, okay, here's one of the mechanics, here's another one of the mechanics, they're just like, oh, here's some staples, which is interesting. Yeah. It's it's a definite shift in how they've approached new sets as of late, I think. It it's very <laughs> I'm gonna regret saying this. Doesn't it feel competitive focused? Like the, these are the yes. competitively pushed cards, I think. Yeah. Uh, so it's odd to me that, you know, Midnight Hunt, Arlen Court is on the, the splash art and everything. And there's just like no werewolves. Yeah. You would have thought that's what day one is all about. Yeah. And in, instead, they're just like, no, like here are like these are the cards that I would expect to show up like midway through preview season. And then it would be like, oh, I get like, you know, this upgraded removal spell that should then change how I'm building a bunch of my decks. Yep. And then it just meant that like my content was kind of invalidated. But now we have kind of like we're starting with the building blocks, which is excellent as a content creator. Very pleased. Very pleased about this shift for sure. So, yeah, it definitely does cater to us. It is weird because it's different, but uh, I'm here for it. Right there with you. So, like I said, seven cards. There is a card uh, called Triska Decophile. Do you want to actually talk about this or no? Uh, this this card could have potential in terms of like we've seen Azure Mage before out that of was, control decks. So. That, was, that was the card I brought up to you. It's it's been outmoded. Whatever. Uh, one U one three creature human wizard. You have no maximum hand size at the beginning of your upkeep. If you have exactly thirteen cards in your hand, you win the game. Three U draw a card. So Azure Mage was one U two one with yep. three U draw a card, and that was a fine card for like control mirror-ish uh, sideboards, right? Like you would just bring yep. in this thing that's a little a little bit of a beater. If you're playing draw go, then you just get to bury them in card advantage. And I, like, you know, the 2-1 body is good for that specific reason, but I would argue that, you know, I would much rather have a 1-3 stat line. Sometimes, for sure. Dep- depends on the format. It's all format contextual. I, I just, I don't want to go deep into it. I'm not trying to build a deck around this, but... Cards like this have had uses before. I could see this having a very similar use. Yeah, like I said, I think Standard has mostly passed that sort of thing by, just like the slow, incremental card advantage type of stuff. But it's there if you if you want it or need it. We are depowering. At least it seems that way. So yeah, who knows? Who knows if we're shifting back to that? All right, where, where do you want to go next? You want to do the staples? Sure. Yeah, I think the staples are, like we said, one of the odder parts about how how you would do this preview season. And they they stood out to me as very unique, very interesting. All right. First card, consider you instant. Look at the top card of your library. You may put that card into your graveyard. Draw a card. This is basically a better opt. Yeah, I don't I don't want to say strictly better because that's not what the word strictly means. But in most instances, it is a better opt. Yeah, and that. I mean, this is a substantial upgrade. I, I think it's it reads much smaller than it actually is going from scry to surveil, basically. Yep. Uh, that's that's a push. That's a really hard push, especially for decks that use their graveyard as a resource. They're going to be very happy to see this card. It's pushing into that thought scour territory where just card volume being created starts to be significant and uh that stuff matters it matters a lot especially in older formats i'm I'm not sure there is like 
I don't know. I, I think you probably go this before opt in spots you would play opt. I think opt is worse than it has been in the past, but it does still see play and merits consideration. And this is actually furthering my argument that you should just bring Ponder back into modern because who cares? There's enough of this type of effect. And the in, the dichotomy between instant and sorcery, like now it's starting to get close enough in these effects where, to be fair, you're probably just playing eight but I still find it more interesting to have Ponder be a good card in the format than a bunch of other things we've seen in the past. So maybe it's not the right moment given how good the Is It decks are right now, but still consider is a really interesting shift. And, and also just in terms of like how far you're willing to push the one mana blue cantrip, because these yeah. are a staple of competitive magic. Go back to Cataxian Probe. You can look at Ponder's relevance and standard. How good a blue cantrip for one mana is often shapes what's possible in the format and consider from opt is going to change things also think about it in terms of historic right because brainstorm just left Mm -hmm. i don't foresee a future in which it's coming back neither do i and when you're looking at building things like arc light phoenix you have opt you have faithless looting you really want triple one drop on turn three to bring back your Phoenixes. And I just wrote an article uh, that had some Phoenix decklist in it where I was playing things like Crash Through or Warlord's Fury just mm-hmm. to have that critical mass of one mana things. And now, well, you're just back to having like 12 cantrips that you're very happy to play. Yeah, is it Phoenix has to go right to the top as one of the big winners from this print. I, you know, I it doesn't seem like it's, amassing a ton of popularity post brainstorm ban it, at least the very early results are pointing towards people shifting towards jeskai control in large numbers the challenger gauntlet decks came out today and yep i was gonna bring that up too yeah extremely heavily represented on the jeskai control side but i mean this can be an important card there as well uh, especially given like just how graveyard centric those decks often are if you're doing mizix mastery type stuff you will appreciate these things you will occasionally hit your card you will get your phoenixes into the graveyard and that's not what you're here for that's not why you're playing the card but when it does happen it's going to be game changing yeah i mean if you have anything that is graveyard related this is such a huge upgrade like even if you're talking about like my control deck plays one search for Iskanta or whatever right, right. right like this is so much better than opt and um I'm happy that it exists and they're willing to like push the boundaries a little bit. Like first we were living in a world where I didn't think that opt was ever going to come to standard. Mm -hmm. Right. And then they're like, well, let's try this. And it it was, it was good. It was, it was not that bad, you know? And it's like, well, this is a good space for this. Can we push this a little bit more? What would that look like? And then we get to this thing, which is, you know, like half, half a thought scour, but certainly gives you, that selection aspect that you really want from your one mana cantrips because there's you know like the one land uh thought scour hand is is pretty risky right but like one land opt feels a lot safer and this is still like juicing your graveyard to the point where you know you'd be happier to have this uh than thought scour even in like a deck with four group makers right yeah i love that you talked about like assigning power to this card because we're going to talk more about again commons uncommons basically at this point things that look like the foundational cards of this new format we're going to and we're going to see cards that are having a lot more power assigned to some very specific roles than we usually see and if that represents a design shift if you're saying okay we can allocate more power into these things and we're coming down a little bit from the 
wilderness reclamations and the Nissas who shaped the world and putting more points here. Look, magic is different things to different people. I will tell you for my money, that is the game I prefer. I prefer the game that's putting more power into these incremental effects, small ball effects, and making them more consistent, giving you more options throughout the game. Uh, Consider if it's just step one in a process of allocating more power there, I'm going to be very, very happy. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not just consider if if this was just like a one off card, then whatever. But uh, there's the other two removal spells that we'll get into where it's like there is a clear, very clear, indisputable, I would say. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they're previewing them first or like, you know, the the, some of the promos in the set, whatever. And I think that that's awesome. Uh, The the article that I, I wrote this week, again, had some Phoenix decklists in it. And for some of these decklists, you just get to a point where. You know, you have 50, 55 cards, and then you hit a wall of, well, these are all the cards that I'm actively happy to like put in my deck. Mm-hmm. Or like happy to draw at, you know, XYZ stage of the game. And then you're like, well, I guess I fill it out with like crash throughs or whatever. And yeah, I don't I don't really like when magic is like that, you know? I, I want I want all the cards to be enticing to some degree, not just like, well, I kind of have to play this. And it's like not very good but it serves a purpose right so this is like oh this is exciting probably partly because of how it compares favorably to the things that we've had in the past but also just because it it is appealing power level wise like consider is definitely appealing as someone who has cast like brainstorm ponder thought scour or whatever i'm like no this this card is rock solid i'm happy to have this for sure uh next up we have play with fire our instance this deals two damage to any target if a player is dealt damage this way, scry one. So strictly better shock. I mean, I guess that there's like a way that this could not be strictly better, but it's a better shock. Yeah, I'm having a hard time coming up with that way. Um, I maybe you, maybe there's maybe there's like no time left in the round or whatever, right? Or you and, misplay when you scry, like yeah, that's <laughs> you, you put the good card on the bottom. Uh, that's about all I have though. So what we're talking about is almost certainly strictly better shock, and that's enough to raise my eyebrows. We had set the baseline for power at shock. This is saying we can allow more. And, you know, th- there's wild slash out there now as the other strictly better shock. That's a pioneer staple. I think this is better. Uh, I can count on yeah. one finger, basically, how many times my wild slash has mattered. But unless unless there are very format specific reasons why you would want the damage prevention thing, like I know mm. that Wild Slash was like kind of beating up on Turbo Fog sort of that's stuff fair. for, yeah, for yeah, a bit, true. and the Dramokas Command damage prevention thing has mattered before. Yep. But yeah, mostly it was like it's a shock, right? And that's that's just it, and that that's good enough a lot of the time. But again, shock is not a card that I am excited to draw or have in my deck because with like creature power creep, there's a a lot of toughness going on. And like shock doesn't kill even a lot of the two drops anymore. Right. Right. So there are just times where it's like, man, I'm playing a deck and it's got shocks. And if I draw two of these, it feels like I'm mulligans. Right. And this alleviates that somewhat. Let me tell you where I really love this card. I, I love the scenario where you're down to the late game. And I'm thinking specifically about, uh, mono red and pioneer which i actually played a lot with and against because when i was teaching janelle magic we, right we played the pioneer format in her favorite deck until she found mono green uh nick she started with mono red though that's what she loved off the bat 
And so, uh, you know, she was very familiar with the wild slash shock dichotomy. But one of the situations you're just always in is, okay, I'm going to fire off this burn spell and let's see what happens on the top of my deck. Right. And if I hit, good. I I love this card in that scenario where not only are you making that gambit, like I have to throw my shocks at your face now and hope to get lucky, but it's helping you get lucky a little bit. I think that's a really cool thing for this card to do. And it's going to feel really nice as the play with Firecaster. Yeah, it's it also helps in situations where the red decks go a little bit bigger. They'll have like Hazred or Chandra, Experimental Frenzy, that sort of thing. Or they're like the the beer G kind of like combo decks mm-hmm. in, in Historic that are very fringe for sure, but like do exist. And this sort of thing like helps you kind of set up for these semi combo turns, which is kind of cool. It's helpful. Yes, that stays live. That matters. Yeah, so this is this is nice. It's it's a small upgrade. I don't think it's as big of an upgrade as considers, but it is it's definitely solid. Sure, that tracks. Infernal Grasp, 1B instant, destroy target creature, you lose two life. Is this better or worse, you think, than Heartless Egg? That is that's so contextual. Uh, that's all about the format. It and is, I, obviously. I, but I can't answer that in a vacuum, I don't think. I it's more interesting to me as a card like i think what this presents you as a player is way more interesting like you have the option to kill everything but against the aggressive decks it's it's going to be a problem like giving up that two life is going to matter a lot of the time and usually like by playing this two mana removal spell what you're getting is some more life that's that's the payoff for going low on the removal scale and now you have to give that up in some metagames it's going to be the slam dunk inclusion no question this is the way you want to go or in some decks right like if you're mono black decks, aggro yeah. maybe you don't care obviously okay, yeah obviously there's like mono black v mono red type of scenarios where maybe you care a little bit but in for for the most part you're just like yeah i just play this because it's not a drawback or if you're playing something like death shadow or whatever then it's usually gravy yeah what, what do you think about just straight up death shadow and modern is this a substantial upgrade for them i know we want to keep everything to one mana but this is doing two things they're very interested in they want to play that attrition game they want to control the opposing battlefield and then tack a little bit more life loss onto it i I mean like dismember exists yeah i was gonna say dismember's better in most scenarios although there there are definitely things like tarmogoy from murktide regent that get out of dismember range absolutely primeval titan like i I think the reason we've seen unholy heat be such an important card is because it does have that six damage break point like it's able to clean up those things and infernal grasp still doing that i think is very important yeah i mean it goes after planeswalkers too you also have things like feed the swarm if you want that so yeah uh sorcery versus instance and you don't have as much control over it you know like you know that with this you're always going to lose two but then there might be scenarios where they play a murktide regent you're like well i didn't want to lose seven you know yeah very true so it's interesting it's definitely a card that people will think about putting in their decks and may show up from time to time but i don't know to me in most instances i do feel like this is worse than heartless act but it it really does depend on the format you're right about that Mm -hmm. yeah we'll see what uh this new format presents us when it comes to its standard play but i I do think this has applications going all the way back for sure yeah regardless very appealing text right like two mana just like kill anything cool yep very cool uh, the, the card they started the previous the previous stream with is Join the Dance. This is uh, G-Dub Sorcery. Create two 1-1 one, one white human creature tokens. Flashback 3 G-Dub. And they talked about how 
they've never done a uh, multicolored flashback card, like a gold flashback card. Like obviously there's lingering souls, desperate raving, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But they said they were excited to do that because it meant that they could put more powerful designs on flashback cards. And like, this is kind of a medium one, right? But it does make me interested to see what is coming down the pipeline. Agree. I, I want to see how they're allocating that power again. Um, I will say though, using this as like a, a selling point, the first thing out the gate is a little strange to me because quite frankly, I didn't realize they hadn't done a flashback multicolored card. And if I didn't realize it, that means I didn't care that much about it. And I hadn't noticed the, uh, the absence of this thing. And really, if you wanted to hammer home this point, I think you were supposed to show off one of the more powerful cards you made, not necessarily Probably. this very foundational thing. But like you said, I'll, I'll give them time to see what's coming down the pipeline. I'm just a little thrown off by this particular inclusion. Yeah, the, the front side, like two mana for two one ones, that has shown up in decks before for sure. Uh, this, this being a sorcery, this being two colors, the, the mana in two color aggro decks has not been great it has not so this does make humans though which that that's a big deal human does matter uh but yeah there's enough things where i'm just like well i'm not super excited about this but there's obviously going to be human synergies there there may be green white support green white especially like token based stuff like they've historically kind of slacked on pushing those sorts of archetypes too so i'm just like not super excited about it, but like uh, assuming that sort of thing is good and that is a, a strategy that you want to be doing, like just giving you a mana sink in the mid to late is really good. Yeah, no, it's true. So I, I could see this actually showing up and feeling powerful, you know, making it so you don't necessarily run out of things to do with your mana. But again, like all of it is contextual, right? And if if they had something that was lingering souls-esque or whatever that was in your face powerful where you could make that statement and people would be like oh yeah this is cool that that does track i i think that that would have gone over better but they they also just showed us like uh you know kind of like one of most things going on in the format right like here's a human here's a zombie whatever yep yeah yeah that that's fair they could have a lot of purposes in choosing this card so small gripe uh, with what i think was a very successful preview stream you didn't even watch it, man. Well, I don't I don't care. They showed me the cards I wanted to see. That's what I'm here for. I mean, they, they can say whatever words they want. As long as the cards are sweet, uh, I'll keep coming back. All right. Uh, Champion of the Perished. B11 creature zombie. Whenever another zombie enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on this. So uh, very cleverly named Champion of the Perished for zombies. This feels like your invitational card. Yeah, I like I like my zombies to, you know, be sticky, draw cards, make tokens, whatever. This this card is hella good, though. Yeah, I mean, the fact that that's how zombies often operate, like they do go very wide, means that Champion of the Perished is uniquely positioned, I assume. I mean, obviously, I haven't seen the zombie cards yet, but I assume it's uniquely positioned to really benefit from those type of zombie synergies where you do make this kind of slow, shambling swarm. And, you know, we saw Diagraph Colossus benefit a lot from that approach to zombies. Uh, Champion of the Perished might just be enough to carry an archetype on its own. If there's any reasonable zombie support, which you would expect, given that we're going back to Innistrad, this is a very, very good baseline for that tribal deck to take off. It would be so disappointing to do this card and then not have zombie support, right? 
if you if you just have any zombies, you're supporting this card. It feels like it's, it's very hard not to support this card because of how pushed it is. Yeah, I mean, you need the deck to be able to do stuff like th this is going to have, you know, casual appeal, maybe some historic appeal. There are a, a few good zombie cards in uh, Historic Horizons, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but as far as like standard is concerned, like those decks have missed a lot, very similarly to like the green white tokens kind of stuff because it did not have adequate support. Well, we will see. I, you know, in any other set, I'd probably agree with you. But come Innistrad, I am confident we're going to see adequate zombie support. We'll see. I I would be happy if I could, if I could play something that felt like uh, almond cat zombies. Right? Mm -hmm. I, I would be thrilled about that. But sure, I'm cautiously optimistic. Sounds good. Last card: Ren in seven, three GG, five starting loyalty, uh, Planeswalker Ren, four different abilities. Plus one, reveal the top four cards of your library. Put all land cards revealed this way into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. So plus one is just cast mulch. Mm -hmm. Zero, put any number of land cards from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. Minus three, create a green tree folk creature token with reach. And this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. Minus eight, return all permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. You get an emblem with you have no maximum hand size. A lot of words on this card. Many, many words. Uh, I think I like them. I think they're words that please me. I think that as far as five mana planeswalkers go, how successful they are depends entirely on the context of the rest of the format. And in almost all cases, like even, even things like Nissa Who Shakes the World, like that card would have succeeded in most standard formats but in terms of like raw power how good is this card going to be historically how does it compare to everything else that has come before it i, d I don't think you can know that until you know what really surrounds this planeswalker I, I don't expect this is something that like reaches back to older formats it doesn't have that kind of power read to me right off the bat i agree but, with that but in terms of an important standard card if this minus three does a great job of, you know, defending against Goldspan Dragon, which it seems to do on its face, right? You get your reach creature and it presumably is a five, five. If you're putting lands onto the battlefield and it does that defensive thing. And then it charges up your graveyard because there's good graveyard synergies in the set, but it's also putting a bunch of lands into your hand. And then you zero the next turn and those flashback cards that you put into your graveyard, you have ample mana for them. This kind of value engine seems extremely promising to me. And the fact that the play patterns are pretty diverse, like there's a bunch of things this card can do. You can just minus three plus minus three and then have a very big battlefield presence out of nowhere. So I think this card is powerful. I am not willing to declare anything about its format importance though until I know the stuff surrounding it. But again, the themes flashback, incredibly important with a mulch, just having this mid-rangey type engine. If you told me, you know, six months from now that, a Jund control deck based around Ren and Seven is the best thing to be doing, it wouldn't shock me. It seems completely plausible that could be the case. This card is right up my alley. Uh, I, I like everything that it's doing. I can envision the sort of deck that it would go in. That deck doesn't exist right now. We'll see. Uh, I think you bringing up the point of Goldspan Dragon is huge because if, if you play this with five lands, you get a 5-5 five, five with Reach, Mm -hmm. So you're you're getting this thing that defends the Planeswalker really well. The Planeswalker is sort of a card draw engine. You know, you're just picking up lands, but it's also making your tree folks bigger. 
right? And yeah. ramping you potentially into something else. There are great yeah. synergies, whatever. It's like I I see a lot of potential upside, but yeah, it's it's low. It doesn't have like this huge like mana burst potential of Nissa, for example. So it's it's very like slow in its scaling. But I think that the initial like you play this, get a five five. You also have this planeswalker. Uh, it is really appealing on that turn, right? Yeah. L- let me talk about a play pattern that immediately popped in my head and it's a weird one so it it wouldn't shock me if it's not something you've really thought about yet so the type of deck i'm thinking of that will really leverage this harkens back to basically nissa era stuff where you're looking at extremely high land counts you know 29 sometimes 30 in extreme cases you can push even further than that just high land counts like we've never seen before and then where you have a play pattern of like plus one ren and seven on your next turn plus one ren and seven again play another ren and seven zero well now you've pushed really far ahead you've juiced your graveyard so if there are reasonable flashback spells you know you just added what five mana four mana to your battlefield very easily you still have your ren and seven in place still sitting at five loyalty like you've invested a lot i'm, I'm not saying it's just clean and yeah, everything's you, good you spent 10 mana to you know put five lands into play or whatever yeah that, that's a lot for sure but it also is coming with flexibility you don't have yeah. to do that yeah yeah, yeah. just if, if it comes up you have that that line of correct play. correct and and that's the type of like mana explosion that is a little terrifying and starts to feel a little bit more like nissa and it's not as it's not as easy it's not as clean and i don't think that's the default mode of ren and seven that was just a play pattern that popped in my head that i thought was very interesting yeah i mean you could see this in something uh that resembled like the golos field of the dead decks right Mm -hmm. like if you had a reason to get up to like seven or eight mana you know you could just like play this put three lands into play on tap have a bunch of mana whatever uh and that that seems pretty cool and yeah, there, there are a lot of modes. They're all pretty sweet. I, I remember uh, a match I played at an SCG Invitational that Tom Martell was doing commentary on. And I, I had a Jace the Mind Sculptor for a few turns. And he was just like, okay, this turn Jerry's going to Fate Seal. Okay, now he's going to Unsummon. Okay, this turn he's going to Brainstorm. You know, and it's like the, the card has so many different modes. And you really get paid off when you're able to leverage every single one of them. Right. Compared to like my opponents that I, were, I was playing against who were just like hard slamming the brainstorm button every turn. Yep. You know? And yeah. it's like, yeah, that, that's the thing that you can do, right? You can just like play this, make tree folks like beat up people, whatever. Uh, but it does, it does have other modes and being able to utilize those effectively does matter a lot. And these, these are all things that will pay you off. This is like, all right, I'm going to plus one now because in three turns, like this is what I'm going to need or whatever. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah, a really interesting card uh, and one that I'm excited about f- for sure. So like like I said, I, th- I think they did a great job with these previewed cards. They basically got me more hyped about Innistrad Midnight Hunt with these seven cards than like the first three weeks of D&D previews did. So. Yeah, you lead with bangers, man. This seems looks like good. It. Seems like it. This looks really good. Uh, so this, uh, we could have led with this, I guess the arena release for midnight hunt is September 16th. And then there's also crimson vow, which is, you know, this is allegedly a a werewolf set. Then crimson vow is allegedly a vampire set. And Mm -hmm. that comes out November 11th. So less than two months later. 
And that means that, you know, we're going to do like top 10 lists into more previews, most likely. Yeah, it's going to be real close. And, you know, I- I'm here for it. There, There is something to preview fatigue, but we've always said like, this is our, this is our favorite part of what we do, looking at new magic cards. And especially like after a couple of lackluster preview seasons, it feels really nice to start off on a high note and have cards we're excited about right out the gate. So we, we just spent 20 minutes talking about basically six cards and it's yep. because we're all, you know, they're all pretty exciting, right? Yep. And absolutely. That is awesome. Yep. Trying to cobble together a top 10 list when you can maybe do a top three list is not great. Less awesome. Yeah, do, doing the, the top fives for Star City, where it's like, uh, yeah, number three is a bit of a stretch, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I actually submitted four cards when I did my second take on the uh, Strixhaven top five. And I was just like, none of this matters. Like, put whatever cards you want there. None of them actually had any impact, so. Yep. Uh, switching gears, Historic Horizons. Sound yeah, let's talk, let's talk a little bit about Historic Horizons. Like we said, an, another pleasant surprise, uh, I, I think. So that's just interesting enough to have me excited to play with it and didn't push things too far. I don't feel like I'm being exploited. I feel like I'm going to have the wild cards to actually participate here. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like, do you, do you feel like we're being hypocritical by being like, oh, yeah, Innistrad is juiced. That's awesome. And then it's like, oh, Historic Horizons was not super juiced. That's awesome. Co- context is king. I mean, it, it just matters like what you're trying to achieve with a format. What else has happened in the format? Like Innistrad being the baseline of new standard has such a weight to bear, especially given the rotation of Eldraine and what Eldraine and the sets that followed it did to the standard format over the last two years. So I, I just think it's a completely different world where we're we're excited about these cards being powerful, not because they're just like pushed out of their mind. It's because they're powerful in the right ways. And if it was just like, oh, more powerful cards, then I could see your point. But I, I think there's a little bit more nuance to this argument. For, for the record, I don't think we are, but the context matters. And yep. if you listen last week, I mean, we kind of go over why we thought Historic Horizons was, you know, going to potentially be problematic. And a lot of that had to do with the arena economy. really. Right. Correct. And so. The, the first batch of cards was appealing. A lot of stuff looked good. There were things that I wanted to try, but then it's just like, I don't have the wild cards for all this and I don't want to spend like $500 on a format that is only useful if you're like trying to qualify for pro tours that don't exist, mm-hmm. you know? So there, there was a lot that went into it. And then they, they finished relatively tame, which I was thankful for. And especially since they gave me some common and uncommon stuff where I'm like, oh, this is this is the stuff that I'm going to be using, not necessarily the rare stuff. So right, I can spend right. like a little bit of money, play with some new stuff, try out some new stuff, but just have to commit hard to like, I'm not going to be able to play with everything or have like a full arena account. And that's that's fine. I just have to make do with that. Yeah, there is there is a point that that was going to hit, I think, for almost everyone. And uh, if this is the point where I no longer have absolutely everything, I will live with that and build up wild cards for a while and hopefully you know find a limited format i can fall in love with and build wild cards that way and uh i i am also going to take the approach of there's a couple decks i really want to build a couple decks i want to work on uh that obviously play well with the cards i already have so our position is unique in that right like we already basically have full collections uh trying to come at this from day one would be super intimidating but thankfully we don't have to worry about that and there's just few cards I'm going to craft, and then I think I'm off to the races here. Yeah. 
Uh, so the thing I'm most excited about is Dragon's Rage, Chandler, and Unholy Heat. This was what my article was about, mostly DRC, but obviously Unholy Heat just goes so well with that card and shows up in all the decks. And I build, like, is it Phoenix? And, like, an is it Tempo deck? And uh, normal Rakdos, Rakdos Shadow, Mono Red Hollow One, Mono Red Double Phoenix. Like, mm-hmm. there, there was basically, like, no end to places where I thought I could slot those cards into. I think DRC uh, spawns new archetypes and also fits into all of the best archetypes already. Yes. So it, it's just ready-made for the historic format. Do you have any concern about the absence of Mishra's Bauble? Do you think that's going to hold this card back at all? Or can it afford to be held back and still be the most important card in historic? Yeah, I, I basically talked about that right from the get because I felt like that was pretty important because it it's definitely a large part of why the card is so successful in modern is because enabling Delirium for it on turn two is trivial in most trivial. instances. Yep. And it's it's like... The, definitely the sub 10% of the time where on turn two, you're attacking for one and you're just like, what happened? How did I not get there? And a lot of the time it's like, well, I need to describe this land at the top to set up for next turn or whatever. So I couldn't kind of like go ham this turn. But uh, in historic, it's pretty easy to have instant sorcery creature land in your deck. And there are, there are no fetch lands besides Fable Passage. So uh, just getting like that free land in your graveyard is also difficult. Yeah, But I do think that by like turn three, turn four, if you have enough ways to uh, trigger its surveil ability, you'll be able to get there. It just means that it won't be online on turn two necessarily all the time. And in a lot of instances, you know, there's like some decks that lean like a little heavier on the creature side of things or like a little heavier on the instance of sorceries. Yep. And you have to try and balance that number of different card types so that you can actually hit different amounts of things. Uh, and to that end, occasionally you'll see things like uh, a random artifact show up in my deck list just to be like a wild card to like fill in for that fourth card type. Like maybe I didn't find instant, but I found my chromatic sphere or something. Mm. Uh, so I think trying to squeeze in the random card types matters a lot. And there are also some instances where I was playing it alongside like Bomac Courier, Scrap Heap Scrounger, and it was just fine because those are cards that I kind of wanted to play in my deck anyway. Yeah, that, that's a great uh, use of card types, I think, and, and a way to sort of cheat the power level of DRC. Uh, also, it bears mentioning this card can't wait for Consider to arrive. Like, it, yes. it's funny that we're talking about two sets of cards that are both not available yet, but it, they're going to be best friends. And that's probably going to unlock the type of visit decks we're seeing have such success in modern right now. I think that's going to be the thing that translates them to, to historic really well. So the the is it non Phoenix deck that I built had four heat and four opt and was otherwise lacking in cheap cards because I mm-hmm. I didn't really want to play looting uh, there's not really another one mana blue cantrip and wasn't gonna go down the route of like playing value crash through or whatever and that meant that I couldn't play Dreadhorde Arcanist and now with this card with consider it's like well maybe maybe that's back on the menu now yeah. I think so. I I think it's going to be a big get for multiple archetypes for sure. Yeah. So uh, I I had like, you know, crash through in my Is It Phoenix deck again to try and hit like 12 cantrips or like I think 11 cantrips is what I settled on and was 
leaning more on the red side of things because you had DRC and then like looting plus whatever red cantrip you're playing. And now it's like, oh, well, maybe we play consider. We go back to like a 50-50 mana base and that's probably fine. Mm-hmm. Sure. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited for all, all the cards involved. What else has you excited uh, in this set? I, I hit you with a list of some new archetypes that I would love to go through, but I'm, I'm curious what else you're doing besides the DRC stuff. I think Enchantress is worth trying. Uh, it might just be like a worse auras. And I haven't actually looked at, you know, like there's no solitary confinement type of things. So like, what mm-hmm. are you doing defensively? Uh, Pioneer generally has like chain to the rocks type of stuff or on thin ice in modern's case. And we don't really have any of that, like portable holes and artifacts. Uh, Baffling end is... You know, it's like you can't you can't just like take a modern deck, port it to historic and add one mana to all the cards. It, right. it just doesn't not going to work. Yeah. Sure. So it, it's interesting where like you have some support, but I would have to take a closer look. Uh, I think Restoration Angel, the card is very good. I don't necessarily know what you should be doing with it. Uh, but but Resto finds a way. Resto is just good enough that it will show up in decks, you know, even if it's like, well, my Jeskai deck wants a blocker or a clock or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that that is good enough. I think that Return to Ranks, Return to the Ranks is very good and will likely spawn an archetype. And then I think some of the elf cards are pretty good too. I agree with you. Uh, I talked about elves in kind of my existing archetypes that I think got some substantial bumps because it's out there. I mean, there's there's been moments of hype for elves in Historic, but... Uh, new Elf Planeswalker seems quite strong to me. And, and some of the uh, the arena-specific Elf cards, there's basically an Elf that's like a uh, Elvish Visionary, except it always draws you an Elf. Which is, the, which is good and bad. It, it can be good and bad, for sure. But it, it's interesting, at least. It's enough to have me take another look at the Elves available. So I agree with your assessment there. Oh, some of the Goblin cards are really good, too. Yep, that is also very much on my list. Uh, Reckless Ringleader, Slinging Lieutenant, and Munitions Expert. You might recognize Slinging Lieutenant and Munitions Expert, but not Reckless Ringleader. That's a one red goblin with haste, and when it comes into play, it gives a creature in your hand haste as well. Uh, Arena exclusive. I thought that was sort of flying under the radar, but potentially quite interesting. There's some stuff that could go on with that card. Uh, so I'm going to keep my eye on that. Yeah, normally you're trying to set up like War Chief plus Krenko, right? And right. This, this can just haste up your Krenko no matter what. Yeah, cheats a little bit and make sure you always get that Krenko payoff. So I, I could see that mattering for Goblins, a deck that's kind of been down on its luck a little bit. Um, as far as other new stuff that I'm excited about, I, some of these I want to talk very little about, some I want to talk more about. I think Ranger Captain of Eos is a big deal for creature combo. I don't know specifically what creature combo you're looking to do or if there's any great ones at the moment. But at some point, the fact that Ranger Captain of Eos exists is going to enable something kind of degenerate. Uh, it, it's just a matter of time, I think. Also just a fine value card. Right. Good point. Yeah, just completely reasonable at three mana. Um, very meaningful effect on the battlefield. And we mentioned last week too, potential combination alongside Death Shadow. Uh, there, there's good one mana creatures in this format, to be sure. Season Pyromancer is very good too. I think that might be uh, maybe the mythic that gets crafted the most, if I had to guess. There, there are, I believe, two mythics on my list of cards to craft. Three mythics, I'm sorry, three mythics. 
And it wouldn't surprise me if Season Pyromancer does eventually end up at the top of those. Yeah, so that, that card is solid. Again, it's not like, oh, this spawns like new archetypes by itself necessarily, but just like a good value card and will show up in a lot of spots. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, other new archetypes I want to explore. Humans. I think Thalia's Lieutenant showing up is a big deal. I think the mana base is basically there to do the multicolor human stuff, and you just have to figure out how you want it to put it together, uh, how disruptive you need to be. I, I don't know if it's all going to work out, but I'm willing to explore it. Yeah, whether or not you want Luris too is a big one. Absolutely. Yep. Going to have to answer all those questions. Uh, mentioned scale up dragon combo. This is that no. based on that stupid card app. Look, if you can win on turn two, you better mention it. That is very different from the typical confines of the format. And also we talked about being able to find your like one mana card more reliably. This could all matter over time. I'm not saying it's a particularly good deck, but as you add more and more pieces to it, more and more consistency to it, you have to at least consider anything that can kill you on turn two, always. I this guess. is what I call the Niv-Magus Elemental Principle. <laughs> yeah, fine. Okay, so we're going to consider that. I don't think we're going to play it, but we're going to consider it. Um, Soul Herder, I think in and of itself, is an archetype. It should do something. You're going to have to look at every single possible uh, value creature that exists on the historic format. We added a faux eternal witness, which is kind of like often the missing piece. We have timeless witness, which is not ideal. I would certainly prefer eternal witness. Timeless witness is the eternalized version of eternal witness, but maybe it's enough. Maybe it's enough where you can put together those type of locks that the typical soul hoarder decks do use it depends i mean you, you like having ephemerate you like having uh like watcher for tomorrow type stuff like just these these good value cards that i don't think historic necessarily has and then you're also missing like a path to exile source mm-hmm. to plowshares like cheap removal spell to kind of like buy you some time but yep yeah maybe i mean soul hoarder restoration angel is a good start uh, but that that just kind of speaks to like how much slower the historic version is compared to like modern versions that you might be used to, where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, resto probably makes the cut, right? And it's just it's not even close in modern. Yeah, missing ephemerate is is tough for sure. Uh, also, also anything I say is missing from a format. I'm assuming it's missing. I'm pretty confident in this one, but I certainly get enough historic cards wrong, and I don't want to hear blame from any of you out there because nobody knows all the cards in historic. It's just not possible anymore. Yeah, I found out that Fanatic Amogus was legal like last week, right? So there you go. That's that's another great example. I'm sure there'll be many more throughout your time in the historic queues coming up. Ephemerate. I feel like I, I would have known. I think so. Wait, is it in the archive? Oh, it is. It absolutely is. Hold on. I feel like I would have seen this show up in deck. It's legal. It's legal. Yeah. Okay. It's legal. Unbelievable. Right. Okay. So we have one of the pieces. We're still just missing, you know, like a good removal spell, basically. Well, you learn something new every week on the Arena Deckless podcast. That's why we're here to make mistakes and learn from them. If ephemerate, if, historic legal. If ephemerate is not showing up, it, it's a lack of things to blink, right? Right, right. Did did we cross that bridge here? Well, no, you you have like more ephemerates in Soul Hoarder and Resto. Right, but I think Timeless Witness is a big deal. Like, even if that is one more mana, you can now do loops. And that's what yes. was missing before, is you just couldn't loop before. Yeah, but what are you looping? <laughs> uh, fogs. We'll just fog forever. Okay, no, that's fine. Sure, do that. 
it's basically, sometimes it's basically sources of postures you know you're yeah. sourcing all their creatures same exact card uh other stuff i am interested in emery artifacts i don't even know what that deck is i wrote it down though because there is thought monitor there is emery uh, there's a bunch of artifacts. Esper so. Sentinel, Nettle Cyst. I looked at it too. Like Treasure yeah. Treasure Vault's a thing. Black Staff yeah. and Waterdeep. Okay. You're you're missing Most. you're missing either like the in soul type of stuff if you want to go like hard beat down or I don't know. You have Chromatic Sphere, which is a decent Mishra's Bobble impression, I guess. But so the, there is a weird in soul in this set too, right? There's Rise and Shine. Do you know that card? Yeah, that's true. Uh, that could matter. It could, but like putting in soul on Darksteel Citadel was the joke, right? Like that was. Oh, hold on. Are you sure Darksteel Citadel is not legal and historic before you go down this uh, road? I mean, I guess not, but. Okay. I would say I'm, no. I'm going to Google. I don't think so either, for what it's worth. I mean, if it is, yeah, just Rise and Shine and Black Staff if you can target lands. It's not legal okay. and historic. Yeah, okay. you, have, you have Treasure Vault, but like. That was kind of the thing where it was just your nut draw, right? Like you make this 5-5 five, yeah. five indestructible. A lot of decks can't beat it, even if you're up against a bad matchup. Like maybe this bails you out in some cases. So you're, you're again, you're missing a lot of stuff. But I'm sure that you can cobble something together between Esper Sentinel, Thought Monitor, etc. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I do find this funny, but this is a real problem. Like uh, us who have played a bunch of Historic who... I've uh, been on Arena since day one and do this for a living, having no idea what is actually playable in the format. I mean, maybe that's it's, just a problem not, where you're like... It's not no idea, right? I mean... We've gotten a few wrong in our days. Yeah, a few, but you're like, oh, is Darkseal Citadel legal? And it's like, I'm pretty sure, but I know, I know enough to know that I could be wrong, but I'm fairly confident that it's not. It just seems like that's a, a tough way to go about things, but I, I'm also not sure how you alleviate that problem on Arena once you decide to bring new cards into the mix. I, oh, yeah. I guess it's just not fixable, so. Well, right, and then also, you know, six, nine months from now, you're going to be like, oh, this, this card, and I'm going to be like, I don't know the name of that card. That doesn't sound familiar. That sounds made up to me, and it is going to be a made-up card because it's going to yep. be one of the perpetually yep. whatever cards. I'm just going to be like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, that card. Yeah, uh, that'll be a common occurrence, I'm sure. Uh, a couple more decks I want to hit on. Shamans. I don't even know what shamans are legal, but there's Rage Forger and Goblin Anarchomancer uh, alongside Harmonic Prodigy, which may or may not matter, but... I mean, it's, it's, it's really good with Rage Forger regardless. Right, and if there's other good shamans, which... I haven't done the Scryfall search yet, but I'm going to. So I figured I'd point it out here. You also have Collected Company, which is a big part of this. Right, game. right, right. Very cool. Yeah, so there, there are some pieces there. Uh, but here's the one I really want to talk about in terms of new archetypes. Because I think I would have banned it already. And I don't even know if it's good. But, but I'm pretty sure we were supposed to go after Davriel Twin. And if you're not familiar with this, basically it's it's just taking a... Vesper Lark, is that right? Just start with a V? Yes. Vesper Lark, which is a smaller Revelark, and using one of the cards, which gives it perpetual minusing. And when Vesper Lark leaves play, you get to return a creature with power one or less to the battlefield. Well, if you perpetually minus this stupid card, you get to return it in perpetuity. And then you play it alongside something like Prosperous Innkeeper, Blood Artist, all these things go lethal or infinite life very easily 
So you're saying my return to the ranks deck instead of playing Luris could just like backdoor this combo and like both, pretty sure both cards are kind of reasonable. Yeah, pretty sure. And there's other stuff out there too that like is in these colors that are other infinite combos that all kinds of kind of plays together well. There's like the Liliana setup I believe we have access to with the treasure goblin. Do you know what combo I'm talking about there? Any of these combos, I assume that Yoman5 has posted it on Twitter and I've looked at it and then just, you know, kept scrolling. Okay, so... So I, I saw it. I, I assume it was a post from him. And I don't remember it and don't care to think about it. Th this is something that I've actually seen floating in a, in a few places as like maybe a legitimate thing you could do in older formats. Now, I'm not 100% sure that Li Liliana is actually available on... I don't uh, think it is, but whatever. Okay. Uh, but this combo is available. And there's multiple ways to produce this perpetual effect. There's also the Planeswalker, Davriel, that you can use to do it. You can use Davriel's removal spell. There's a host of ways to go ahead and find this uh, Vesper Lark, be it you know Collected Company or whatever else you want to do to reliably find it, or if you just want to bring it back from... The graveyard, all of these things seem plausible. So I would not want this anywhere near viable if I were running the historic format. It's going to be miserable in terms of the interface. And quite frankly, it just seems too good. Like you back all this up with Thoughtseize and why? Why bother? Just get rid of it. And this points to the reason why we haven't done perpetual minusing before is it kind of breaks things across zones. Yeah. And it, it's very, I think it's very vulnerable to breaking, actually. And it just might be that Vesper likes the first thing to do it. I don't think it's the last thing to do it. Yeah, likely. I think that putting the perpetual stuff and Vesper Lark in the, the same set is like, well, you, you probably missed asking it. for trouble. Well, you, you probably just missed it, right? I would I would assume so. But like, fix it now. What do we have to wait for? Like, we know this is going to be a disaster. There's potentially if you're building this deck and you're playing for Davriel's, which I'm not sure if you should, but say you, you do determine that's the correct way to build this deck. Now you're four mythics deep that maybe don't have a use anywhere else. That's, that's bad. Like cut that off ahead of time. Also banned in brawl. So it's not like you even get your one of there. So. Right. And, and so, you know, this card has potentially problematic applications and you took proactive steps in other places to get ahead of it. I would do it in historic too, whether it's good or not. I don't really care, but I actually think it's going to be pretty good. It, do it doesn't seem bad as far as like garbage splinter twin combos like this. This one does not seem bad because the cards are useful on their own. Correct. Maybe the deck that it goes in is like slightly suspect, but it's not more suspect than like the dual caster mage neoform stuff. I don't I don't think so at all. I think it's significantly better. And I think there's other shells you could probably splice into this. Like you could probably do uh, Woe Strider, Bolus's Citadel stuff on top of this, too. So yeah. now you're branching in a bunch of different directions and. That sounds good, actually. Yeah. So now you're 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 basically uh, hex mage depths at this point. Like you have two. Uh, yeah, look, no, it's the same deck, look, exact same hey, deck. Hey, I'm gonna take some personal <laughs> offense to that. That's ridiculous. But you get the point. Like I you do, have two very powerful combo kills in a very not entirely overlapping, but somewhat overlapping shell. The dream is deck that is good on its own plus has a combo kill. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh for what it's worth i will say that perpetual vesper lark bring itself back 20 times is probably better than the tainted pack stuff for the client side
assuming that's what you're doing, but the fact that you're also going to have access to infinite life is what troubles me. Like if you could only kill someone with it, I'd, maybe I'd be okay with it. Yeah, I'm. I was thinking like blood artist more so than in innkeeper. It's well, probably going to be both. It's probably going to be both, I yeah. think. Because Innkeeper's an important part, especially if you are a Bolus of Citadel deck, too. Innkeeper's an important part of that. Yeah, so. I was I was thinking mostly just in terms of, like, Cruel Celebrant, Blood Artist, Return to Ranks, and Splice This In. I think that that is fine. Uh, you could do that, too, yeah. Yeah, like, you're going to get nowhere near infinite life, right? So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, eventually you do rope, even if you're still taking game actions. Is that true? That is true. Yeah. Yep, that, was so, the, so, that was the problem with Pact, basically. Right. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So you can't, yeah, you can't gain infinite life. So like, that's just like not even good. I mean, maybe you, you get like 30 or 40 or something, which is annoying. The game's going to go on, but it's not like book faceless haven bad where you just have to play until decking or whatever. Right. I don't know. I don't, I, I honestly don't know how quickly you can do these operations. I don't know what kind of life totals you can reach. If you can do it 150 times in a turn, I, I think that's really bad. Yeah. Like really, really bad. Yeah, that is bad. Uh, so yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I, I feel bad, like call, calling for bans before a card's even released, but I just don't see anything good that comes from this combo existing in the format. Yeah. Like I said, I think, I think that this was just an oversight and they can do something about it. That's fine. Let's hope so. Uh, what else? Uh, other thing I wanted to talk about, just some other archetypes that got bumped, but we mostly covered that. I, I think, you know, goblins and elves, two tribal st- strategies that both do really well. Uh, Rakdos Arcanist just picked up a bunch of really useful utility cards in Bone Shards or Unholy Heat, or they can be Dragon's Rage Channeler decks now. So, oh, uh, they're they're going to be DRC decks. I I agree with you. I think that's a deck that has improved and it's already extremely good. Uh, and then there's stuff like Archmage's Charm out there, where yeah, we should talk I, about that one. Yeah, I absolutely want to talk about that card. I, I you know my first instinct is like, oh maybe this energizes mono blue tempo a little bit which is a fringish type deck but also you can just rebuild the mana base and make this work in jeskai and then that deck is playing some really powerful magic cards now and i don't know if it's going to make that move i'd have to look a little bit more closely at what you're giving up to do it uh but this is an important print into the format i think yeah very powerful card you see this show up a lot in modern and i didn't necessarily think that you know, maybe you would play like two in a deck that could already reasonably cast it. But people are just like, no, I play four and I jump through infinite hoops to make my mana work. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, damn, like you're you're committed. And the, the, the card is very good. Like it is worth doing that a lot of the time. And I was trying to build a deck that could play DRC and it. And I it's probably doable, but it's awkward, right? Because you have... Uh, like you're gonna need turn one red for DRC and then mm. three blue for Archmage's Drum. So you have Steam Vents and Spire Bluff Canal that can do that. Pathway can do that as far as like be either blue or red, but once you play DRC on one, that means you have a mountain in play effectively. And I think that that's probably fine in most instances. You just have to know what you're getting out of the deal. Yeah. And I, I don't think that you can like play for DRC and for charm and not have any mountains or whatever. But on the control side of things, I think that it's very easy to just be like, you know, I have one planes or one mountain and the rest of my lands make blue because you have like irrigated farmland and glacial fortress and stuff like that, where, you know, you don't need white untapped on turn one necessarily. So it seems a lot more palatable in those decks. Yeah. I expect this to be an important card for sure. And also like, 
these mana problems, they're temporary. But the card quality here is forever. And at some point, we will be able to do these things. We will get more lands. We will make it work. Uh, be it, you know, we go back into the vault and Cascade Bluffs shows up eventually or just future oh, yeah. dual lands. Go ahead and fix those, this. It, dude, those lands are busted. They are quite good. Uh, they're they're busted in a good way, though. Like they, they show up every now and then they enable something which would otherwise be impossible. I appreciate them. And then they go back in the vault and I don't see them for a long time. Well, they, they have drawbacks, but they just enable some ridiculous stuff that I don't think should be possible with mana bases, you know? Okay, there's a downside too, though. I mean, they also cut you off of some very significant stuff when you aren't able to, you know, keep early hands because you're so invested in this particular mana distribution. Like, they're only there in small doses, and if you miss, it can be problematic. I don't know. People didn't play enough Twilight Myers in Jund. That's all I'll say. Okay, maybe true. So many games where they're like, you know, swamp, black leaf cliffs, forest with the scavenging ooze and can't do anything and can't like, play anything. Yeah, yeah and Twilight Mario just fixes it all. Just like, okay, your ooze is a ten ten. Let's go, right? People just didn't do it enough because of the fear of what you're talking about. Where it's like, well, it doesn't cast Inquisition on turn one or whatever. And it's like, whatever. The rest of your lands do that. You know, you can play two Twilight Mars and just be fine. Look, it must be nice to be brave. The rest of us are going to live in perpetual fear and sit here cowering behind our suboptimal mana bases. Well, you say you say that it's bravery. I just say that it's doing the correct thing a lot of the time. Okay. It's not that hard. Anyway, uh, yeah, if you, if you get Cascade Bluffs with Archmage's Charm, it, whatever, anything is possible now. Play three colors, play four colors, play your charm on turn three every game. We'll see if we ever go down that road. Uh... Here's what I want to wrap up with, though. This is something new I tried for this show because I wanted to be proactive. And last week, we spent a lot of time complaining about the potential impact on our wild cards. So I thought, well, the arena deckless way used to be we didn't just complain about the problems. We tried to solve them. And I think the world has done a lot to shatter that viewpoint for us, where we've been faced with a lot of unsolvable problems that just felt like they were outside of our grasps and kind of beat us down a little bit. But I got back on the horse for this one and I wanted to make a list of basically what I see is the 10 most important cards to craft from this set. So if you're trying to be like, okay, I just want to use this amount of wild cards, nothing else. These are the ones I think you should get right now. That are mythics and rares. That are mythics and rares. Yes. And that's just based on the assumption that you have enough common and uncommon wild cards. And like we said, very happy to see some very important cards just sitting at the common and uncommon slot, which opens up a lot of stuff for everyone, hopefully. Yeah, agreed. So here is my top 10 list. Uh, I came up with this list. I think Jerry has mostly co-signed it at this point. But if you want to resist anywhere, feel free to do so, Jerry. Deal. Uh, Esper Sentinel. And these are in no particular order, by the way. Esper Sentinel, Thought Monitor. Uh, we talked about both those cards a little bit. A card we didn't talk about, Nettlesist. I, I think this just goes into existing Aura's decks very cleanly. Any type of like Artifacts Matters thing that's going to go on, Nettlesist, just a good magic card. Any objection there, Jerry? Uh, I, I don't object to it being on the list. I think it's very good in the Artifact decks, obviously. It's a little more sketchy in the Aura's deck because if you're just like playing it raw because your creatures are getting killed and you don't have any Auras, obviously you could like pants this thing up then and mm. you're getting like double bonuses or whatever uh or if 
you know, you get to the point where you do have a thing with auras and you can move this around. Okay, cool. But maybe that's win more. So I don't know. I don't, I'm not really feeling it in the auras deck necessarily, but as the Tarmogoyf sort of thing in the artifact decks, I buy it. Okay. That's good enough for me. Uh, Archmage's Charm. Hell, talked about it. Hell yeah. Season Pyromancer. We speculated maybe this will end up being the most crafted mythic. Don't really have a slam dunk home for it, but unquestionably powerful card right on pace with the rest of the historic format. The people will find a way to put it in their decks. I agree with that. Thalia's Lieutenant. I, I think Humans is unlocked now. I, it may not quite be there, but like I said, one of the things that really stood out to me with this list is that it didn't feel like there were a lot of must-craft mythics and rares is it's just like okay this gives me enough value where i'm willing to make this move and try out this human's deck so if you've got the other support around it i think thalia's lieutenant's a good craft uh return to the ranks you and i both high on this card it's going to do something absurd i don't know what uh, you talked about the vesper lark shell that's fine uh there's other existing stuff you can do with it it's going to do something it's very good uh ranger captain of eos kind of the same thing you can play it fair you can play it dirty whatever you want to do ranger captain of eos another mythic but not too many mythics on this list uh, i believe we are up to eight thus far number nine restoration angel like jerry said it there's just space for this to exist in a lot of archetypes it might be doing soul herders herder stuff where the blink is really important it might just be a good card in jeskai control both of those seem reasonable to me uh, and then I'm going to take a flyer here. Th this is the risky one, but it's possible you'll get this one back if I'm wrong. I think Davriel Soulbroker is the arena exclusive card, especially as far as a mythic goes, that is worth crafting, especially in this Davriel Vesper Lark Splinter Twin deck. It seems extremely powerful there. I've spent some time studying the offers and packs or whatever they're called. And I think the power is there. If you hit the right packs, you're going to get huge upside with very little downside. Of course, the randomness is scary, but you're mostly playing this card as a redundant way to do your Splinter Twin stuff and just get some value on the backside. I, I think this is the card you're safe crafting. Jerry, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, so in the case of this and some of the other stuff like Ranger Captain of Eos, I would probably take a wait and see approach. I'm okay with that. Like I said, I stretched for 10, yeah. which is a good sign. I, I do think that Davriel has a very high ceiling, either in uh, a combo deck that will probably not exist for very long, honestly, if it mm -hmm. does show up, it is good. Uh, but even in something like Rakdos, if for whatever reason you wanted to get away from Luris, I did not get away from Luris in like any of the lists that I posted this week, but I could see... Season Pyromancer is a good reason to get away from Loris, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there are a few things here and there where now maybe you just have enough reasons to. You know, maybe it's if you had just Season Pyromancer, it's like, well, this this probably isn't reason alone. But if it's like Pyromancer plus Davriel, then maybe, you know, or like you want to go up to Chandra or something, too. But mm -hmm. yeah, this in the Arcanist Shells, I, I could see being very powerful. If if you wanted to get away from it, but I'm I'm skeptical that that is correct, at least for right now. We will see. But if you're looking, you're just desperate to burn up those mythics. That's where I would put them for the time being. A couple honorable mentions. Uh, I th I think Sithis Harvest Hand. Like you need some other stuff around that, which is why it didn't make my top ten. If you want to mess around with the Enchantress stuff, and you got to find a payoff, and I'm not really sure it's there yet. 
Priest of Felrites was another card that I thought was interesting. And there are some good reanimation targets floating around. Uh, so maybe you're just supposed to, you know, cheat your... Uh, I'm blanking on the name of the stupid big dragon that's been doing annoying things for a while now. Velomachus Lorehold. Yeah. In the play. yeah, if, yeah. if that's what you want to do, that, that seems tenable as well, especially in a format with Faithless Looting. Uh, Priest is probably closer to this list than Sithis Harvest Hand, but a good reasonable amount of options and a format that I'm looking forward to exploring before it gets ruined by this degenerate combo deck. So I have the Phoenix stuff and the Recto stuff already. So it doesn't really take much for me to update with the new set. So I will definitely play some with that. As far as like making new archetypes, I don't know. I feel like other people are going to do the work on return to ranks type of stuff and mm. humans. I don't believe in the artifact deck takes a lot of rare wild cards. And again, like that, that's a thing that I think I would enjoy, but would wait for someone else to do the work. Okay. Fair enough. But I'll definitely be playing with, with Phoenix and, and Rakdos. Good. Looking forward to it. Um, I'm sure I will battle you in the queues as we both play obsessively. Yeah, nonstop. I mean, we're, we're both in bronze, right? So it should be fine. Uh, I might be above bronze. No, I mean, I, I, I was in platinum after the d Oh, but there's, there was a reset, right? But that was only for Mythic. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we'll probably end up in the same place, man. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be platinum. We'll battle uh, right at our perfect skill level. It'll be great. Yeah. Game. Good luck.